Yeah. That's good, man. You look good. You look vibrant. You look, uh, you look happy and stuff. That's, uh, that's good yeah. to see. It's been good. It's been good. Fall here is it's my favorite time of the year. So. And you've been, pretty... you'd mentioned your trainings. You're getting ready. Are you still doing track stuff or what's, what are you doing? What are you training for? Yeah. All the <laughs> tracks, like the big picture plan, but yeah. right now, most of the tracks I know of are closed. So, and the, the U S national team is like, kind of on hold until probably early next year at least Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to figure out what it all looks like but big big picture plan is i'm i'm still kind of shooting for the paris olympics for the team pursuit okay and i hired a coach like maybe six months ago and working specifically towards that and all the road stuff and all the gravel stuff is all it's all working towards that so so paris is 2024 yeah okay so 2021 yeah. that's not happening it's already yeah it's already decided Picked the US, okay u.s team didn't qualify so yeah we're oh so you didn't miss out anything <laughs> exactly damn dude okay so that's <laughs> interesting so i was gonna i had a good first question so the whole point of these and i'm reaching you know for evoke bike stuff i've been in like different forums and just help answering people's questions and a lot of basic stuff and you know a lot of the things that patrick and i we started this when we were talking on the phone i'm like dude we should record this like this is important information that people that people that are new like i would have loved to have known some stuff so i've just been reaching out to people that are in interesting situations are experienced cyclists have different backgrounds like i just did one with purvis you know, yeah. who was running professionally in Sweden. I'm doing <laughs> yeah. like Andy Chastine, who's on like the industry side and things like that. Yeah. You obviously came to mind for a, actually a bunch of reasons. Number one, the track. You're really one of the only people that I know personally that's doing road, track, gravel. You've been yeah. successful in a lot of different areas of cycling from collegiate to professional, but mm-hmm. also just your leadership style. And it was really awesome. I think we were talking about this when I was in Boulder that weekend, like, <laughs> We all were on DNA, but it was like our first race together. We really didn't know each other. And I was wondering, I'm like, I wonder who's going to be like, all right, this is what we're doing. And I kind of thought it'd be you or Tanner. I didn't know Preston and I didn't know Pablo. And it was like pretty natural. You were just like, yo, guys, like, let's chat about this. And this is is my (laughs) thing. And you really led in in a really awesome way that I think no matter where you go in life, it's like you're clearly a leader. Um having you know you're talking about olympics in 2024 and mm-hmm. everyone that i talk to and myself when we're like oh man covid really screwed things up but it's for like this season or next yeah. season. like yeah. what is it like when you're planning for something so for so far out in a discipline that you're i mean would you say you're very new to like you've written yeah. you guys yeah. since last year right um, yeah how does that all I mean, how do you even attack that with your coach? Are you like, this is this year's goals? This is 2022? This is 2023? Or like, how far out are you shooting? And what is that we're, like personally? Because you, I know you're not a planner. So that, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a planner. <laughs> yeah, so we're kind of, like when I hired him, I was just like, you know, the the only race that I can think of that I really like actually deeply care about anymore is like the olympic games Mm -hmm. and i i read a book that actually my former teammate ian dilly wrote about a track sprinter that he basically like he trained so hard through the full like quad leading into the olympics that he like essentially sabotaged himself 
because he was like deep in training blocks, going to races, just getting smoked. And then he just always had this big picture mindset of like, come the Olympics, like I'm not going to get smoked. <laughs> like It's all going to come together. I'm going to like actually like, I don't know, basically like focus and peak for that race and four year builds into that where he would, he would go to races and just get like get beat by guys that he knows that he's better than. And then it was all just for the sake of that training load and working towards the, I don't know, the big picture. So it has been a little tricky with, with motivation stuff. Like a lot of guys without racing, like lose all motivation to train. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one, one thing that's far enough away that it's the COVID thing, like hasn't really, at least in my mind, hasn't really disrupted that like yes usa cycling is kind of floundering the national team doesn't really have funding right now because usa cycling has no money our coach got like furloughed i guess and so there's only there's a track director still working with the women and so i've been keeping in touch with him a little bit mm -hmm. and it's all just i don't know it's moving it's it, it's another actually another like point from that book was like control what you can control yeah. And so all the COVID stuff, all the budget cuts, all the, like, all that's out of my control. I can't do anything about that. But yeah. what I can do is, like, behind the scenes, just train my ass off and we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm only going to be better for it, whether or not the program comes back or whether or not the Olympics is even in the picture. Like, man, I'm just going to be better. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. Like, I've, I kind of thought about this year when I was, you know, I went to a race and then I went to go back to a race and was like, you know, I think I'm making the wrong decision decided to shelf racing with this year, but I kept training mm -hmm. and like hitting personal PRs and getting yeah. better and finding ways to get better at intervals and finding like, just, you know, when you train in blocks, it's like when you've done it long enough, you're like, Ooh, that was really, that was interesting. Like I'm going to try this this time. And Oh my God, that yeah. worked. And like yeah. there's all these roads you go down and you would, I always think of you when you're like, we were talking about even resting. You're like, just go by sensations from Bobby Julik. Yeah. And yeah. like, even on the other side, like sensations, I'm like, nah, I think I'm going to add another day and then maybe I'm going to go down this path and see what happens. And there's yeah. just like, I was better than like, I'm going to ride endurance for the next six months. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and close to my own devices, I know that that's what I would do. And that's one of the reasons why. Like I love going out and exploring and just riding as much as I can all the time. And that's one of the big things that's kind of flipped for me this year is like last year when I ended up like winning a team pursuit national title because I got paired with Ashton Lambie and Colby Lang and like all these national squads, which is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was awesome. But at the same time, like I was way in over my head and I, I kind of knew that I was pretty unprepared and I was just going based on like road fitness, which it gets you so far. And it got me there and it like I set track records at LA and Colorado Springs. And so now it's like if I actually focus on track specific work, like how good could I be? And I don't I don't know. And so that's what's exciting about this whole new endeavor. And at the same time, the freedom that COVID's really opened up to like yeah. try new training techniques and like I'm doing way more VO2 work than I normally would, which mm -hmm. I think is the opposite of what I've really done my entire career. So Dude. we'll see where it, see where it takes me. <laughs> I'm going to be just like mimicking you. Like I, I, the same thing <laughs> I went through, like I remember reading books and I'm like, there's no way my body could handle that. And that's one thing. Maybe it's just that I've, once I moved to Tennessee and in 2016, I was like, I was always like an FTP guy and had, mm -hmm. had all like VO2 max stuff. You get it in, 
races and it's already, right. you know, your body's already where it's at, which we now right. know is really true. Yeah. And I think it, after this is probably like my fourth year of really going after it. And maybe I've just matured more in that intensity, but I did some blocks where I was like, I can't believe I'm still like railing these things. Yeah. yeah. And then you go back and do FTP work and that seems so easy. And I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why was I doing this 10 years ago? Exactly. Again? Yeah, exactly. So that was going to be actually one of my big questions. When you're going from road to track, what do you, for someone that's watching, that's thinking of maybe dabbling, because track's one of those things that like, I'm, if you live close to your track, you can go and you can rent a bike and you can get into it. In upstate New York, there was yeah. one in Pennsylvania somewhere. I think it was a five-hour drive. Trekstar Town, yeah. Yes, exactly. Thank yeah. you. T-Town, they all said. And if mm-hmm. you're going road to track, what is kind of like – what do you wish you knew going into that? And then once you get in there and you're like, Hey, I'm committed to this. What are some things that you've noticed in your training that's different? That's going to be more beneficial for you. And maybe it depends on what type of track event you're doing, but yeah. if you go general or specific, like what's your just kind of thought of going road to track? Um, well, my, like I said earlier, my, my default training method is to just ride like as much as I can. And if I feel good, I ride hard. <laughs> like I, I love like the volume. And so that was one of the biggest changes that I've had like in the spring here especially that and I mean really so far I just do a lot more like short intervals like when I was training with Bobby for the road it was three to six hours every day Mm -hmm. and that's just kind of like that was expected and that that felt good and I enjoyed it and there were still intervals like mixed in there but they were mostly sweet spot threshold that type of work and and were those you, slid just throughout like, you know, hey, today you're going to do them at hour four or and you maybe maybe if you start them right away, they're more intense or was um, it- less so. But okay. now with I'm not now I'm working with Mike Norton. OK. And he actually lives in South Africa, but he was actually introduced to me through the national team for the track. And he was doing performance reviews and everything for for a bunch of the track guys and kind of worked out a a thing where he was gonna try to help a bunch of us and so he's done that where he slides if it's a really intense workout it's like you go out you spin for five or ten minutes do like a little 10 minute warm-up and then you jump straight into like super high intensity intervals and so actually that was one of the one of the little hiccups I guess at the beginning when I first started training with them because I was I was less I don't know, structured, less used to the structure, I guess. So I would go and ride like two hours and then start the intervals and then I couldn't do them. And I was like, and he's like, just stick to the plan. Like there's a whole schedule laid out for you in, in the training plan. Like just try to follow it as closely as you can. And it's gonna, like, things are going to come together for you. And I, it, of course he's right. And it worked. Right. And so now sometimes I'll do like, sometimes he wants me to do intervals under fatigue. Mm-hmm. And so we'll do an hour and a half, like endurance and then a bunch of like sweet spot with jumps in it and then we'll do like some vo2 work like at hour four so it's all again the the physiological side of that i'm not like that's why i hire mike because i'm not super familiar with how it all works but one of the big things is like being able to put out high power under load partially because in team pursuit especially the the qualifying rounds are only like that gets you so far, but you have to do sometimes three, four full gas efforts at a world cup to try to like make a final or make a, yeah. Make and the it's final all in one day so, we're talking. Sometimes, sometimes it's usually prelims one day, but you'll do 
sometimes two of them. Yeah. And you, you can't really save it because <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've experienced before with the team, like you get cut out of the first round and then what do you do? <laughs> like, I was going to say, cause that's interesting. Right. Like the clock changes things. You don't see yeah. the other guys. It's not like, Hey, yeah. I'm going to get these points. Cause I see the guy back there. I don't have to go. Right. You know, I'm going to get, I don't have to go full gas, but when yeah. you don't see the other people around you, you right. have no, yeah. there's no ghost rider on the guard. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so you're just going full gas all the time. And like, of course you have that little extra bit of adrenaline and like a final round or something, but yeah, it's, it's a, uh, you definitely have to be able to ride like, full gas mm-hmm. hard vo2 efforts under load and with like with like already loaded in your legs so do you plan to lift more in the gym because of these types of efforts or i've been lifting quite a bit yeah but a lot of the track guys and all the track camps that i've been to like lifting is a, a big part of it and especially i mean ashton's like the king of lifting really? <laughs> he always he always talks about getting prison big but <laughs> He he lifts probably more than he rides. Wow! Like he'll even at those training camps where we would all go in for like one hour, maybe two or three days a week, and he would go in for two hours, like two or three days a week, and he's just lifting, lifting, lifting. And mm-hmm. the day that we set the track record at the Colorado Springs Velodrome, like he lifted two hours that morning. <laughs> wow! And it's like so you'll even lift like he'll lift the morning of an event, and it's still like that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, there's something there's something to that because I've had a good day riding surprisingly when I've lifted in the morning, just training. I don't think I would yeah. do it on an event. I'm <laughs> sure he has way more experience with it than me. But the, but if I had done it the day before, I'm like, I feel that soreness. So it's yeah. like yeah. the same day it seems to work. The day before you wake up, I'm like, damn, I'm sore as hell. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'm gonna have to try and like Google him and see if he has any if he's ever talked deeply about that. Are you just doing is it like deadlift, squat, like big compound moves and then like there's a lot of that a lot of deadlifting and squat, but there's also upper body work because of the standing start and the track. Mm -hmm. Like I mean you can lose seconds off the line if you can't get off like you're Mm -hmm. pushing a astronaut ride, like a fifty nine tooth front ring with a fifteen, fourteen in the back. I don't know. He rides a huge, massive gear. And so to explode off the line from a dead stop, like you have to have upper body mass as well. And power to weight is like virtually non-existent. It's just straight power. So dude, I'm gonna have to send you this article that uh, a guy working with us, Craig Pulse and one of our other coaches, he sent me it's this have you ever heard of the force number? No, Um, I can't remember of the coach who came up with this. And it's not cycling related. It's more for NFL players. And I think maybe hockey and within someone's 11 first strides he can predict their uh like 40 yard running time and then really talk to them about with a uh not the deadlift but the one where you're in the trap bar trap like deadlift yeah. what they call uh-huh. it yeah there's yeah. a force yeah. number and it's however much you can do divided by i think it's your pounds not kilograms um he can show like how like good of an nfl player these people can be and he's really like, dead on the article's really (laughs) yeah send that to me um but i could see that being interesting because we're like how do we apply this to cycling now because you know it's funny that you bring up like wasp or kg even in things where you're talking to people about like an american road race it's important and but i sometimes think we hear all these you know european (laughs) stories and everyone thinks that like I'm like, guys, you're not climbing an hour and a half. Like, that's yeah. what matters. Like, <laughs> yeah. raw watts are really important in America. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't be fat. But yeah, um, especially but, like domestic road racing, 
it's it's all about like three to five minute power like every race you go to sunset at redlands sunset loop is a it might be like i don't know seven or eight minutes but still it's like that's that's the climbing you're talking about and then yeah there's other race like joe martin the time trial is like it's basically eight minutes uphill like it's it's a sub 10 minute like all out power test basically yeah. and it's it's kind of crazy actually that a lot of times big power riders end up winning those stages over over like a climber type because power to weight really it does matter obviously but it's not it's not going to win you many bike races in america unless it's the tour of utah so mm-hmm. i think people focus on that too much especially with like how zwift i think like I've heard people talking about how weight affects you on Zwift and yeah, in the real world, that's, it's just, it seems like less of a factor to me. Man, but. if I was, so these guys, they weigh in and cause I've got, you know, our squad, they've got yeah. five in the U S five in Europe, they all race together and they have to do official weigh-ins like, yeah. so I'm about 183 plus or minus. Like if I yeah. carved a lot or if I'm just drinking a lot of water, like my yeah. thirst, I'm like, damn, I'm three pounds heavier today. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, exactly. you can't yeah. aim that. it's not food. So right. I think I would go nuts if I had to do these weigh-ins at the <laughs> would, like, yeah. really screw with me. So yeah. would you say then if someone's thinking about track, it's really, you know, high intensity training mm-hmm. and obviously racing, get ready to hit the gym. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's really good to hear about the U.S. racing scene. One thing that there's a lot of just like obsession with sweet spot where mm-hmm. there's a place for that, but like, yeah. it's not all you can do if you really right. want to race. A right. Like, <laughs> yeah. You gotta go hard. It makes you an effective teammate. You can ride the front, you can go on a break, but you're not really going to win many bike races. If all you're doing is sweet spot. Like, dude, this is, I mean, this the- is my preview <laughs> clip right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is really, okay. So going down the track road, you kind of had an interesting, like I got to choose left or I got to choose right. When mm-hmm. things in the U S you were thinking about going to Belgium, you kind of were thinking mm-hmm. about going to the track thing. Talk yeah. about how you, how you decided. And if I'm missing details, it seemed like you had the opportunity of I'm going to Belgium. I can ride with the team for the second half of, I think 2019 yeah. last year. And mm-hmm. then, or it was go to Colorado Springs and focus yep. on that. Um, what were you, how did you like, that's a that's such a tough decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't take it lightly. Cause I, up to that point, so basically I got invited to this track camp. I had reached out to the track program. Like, honestly, I don't even remember when. And they said like, no, thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of like forgot about it. And I got a track bike and I, I think I had ridden the Boulder track maybe once or twice. And I did like the tester courses and got certified to even ride the track. And that was about it. And then following Joe Martin, I went to that, this first like little training camp at the Olympic training center. And like, I don't know. I just, I was on really good form, obviously. Cause yeah. I just kind of feeling super Jersey. confident after <laughs> yeah. killer, killer race. Yeah. Yeah. So I showed up and I actually rode like really well and put out good numbers and um, kind of started to dip my toe into the technique side of it. And that was, it all just kind of started to come. And at the time, Clay, the national team coach was like, like we're still unsure if we're going to qualify for the Olympics. Like we don't know, but at this point, like things aren't looking good, but we kind of do 
if we are going to make it like we need reinforcements basically <laughs> we need some some people to come in and make us better essentially and so he was like he was like i can't tell you one way or the other i can't prop make any promises to you but if you want to try like you could be one of those pieces of the puzzle that helps helps us like go to the olympics and that just sent off like <laughs> fireworks in my head and yeah. kind of hung a carrot in front of my face and i at that same time i had been reached out to from the 303 project team to go race with them in europe and actually belgium was a, a previous plan before 303 reached out okay and then they reached out and they were like we're going to go race in portugal and spain and do a bunch of stage races and like after joe martin again like they were they were into having me come along and so it was a, a big crossroads <laughs> and i reached out to a bunch of people that i wanted to kind of confide in and figure out like what should i do like i've Europe has been my dream on the road forever. Mm -hmm. But even prior to that, like the Olympics, since I was a child, like <laughs> who yeah, can man. say no to that? And it's again, neither the Olympics was obviously not guaranteed, but the, the stage race is also like, that's, that's a heavy scene. Like there's not, I am a bigger guy and that that's when power to weight does come into play is with those big European stage races. And mm -hmm. I was just trying to figure out like, what's gonna what's gonna put me where I want to go like would I want to go to Europe and sign a contract sure would I want to go to the Olympics like probably more so than, than yeah. the contract so I ended up yeah I called a bunch of people talked to a bunch of people and ended up just driving my truck out to Colorado Springs and I had a friend that was living there that he was gone like on a work trip or something for like a, a month and a half. So I just went and lived in his house and trained at the Olympic training center. And it was, it was pretty cool. And when those camps did come around and like in the, the big hitters, Ashton and Colby and Gavin and all those guys did start coming out. Like I was, I was, I mean, <laughs> I was right there with them basically. I don't want to say like I was any better than them, but I had, I had caught up a bit. <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's super exciting. Kind of, and you know, you've had experiences where even if, you know, you're talking about getting a contract in Europe in cycling, that's like a fickle thing. Like it can be, it is very gone. fickle. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. going after the Olympics and hearing the story that way, I definitely would have gone the way you went. And yeah. you know, you never know the connections that you're going to make in that new, like you're known in the road. Now you get known on the track. And, exactly. you know, it seems yeah. like you were having a cool go at gravel with uh, some guys, the rodeo lab. And yeah. what's your thought on gravel in this whole mix now? It's like, really, <laughs> you're, don't tell me you're going to start racing cross, but uh, <laughs> yeah. what gravel That's seems, not in the plan yet. <laughs> gravel seems perfect for you. Out in Colorado, you love long yeah. rides. You love roaming uh -huh. around. You've got this, yep. some, dude, some of this, I looked at that one picture a year ago that you posted. It was like, I forget where you were in Colorado. It was just like the way the light hit. I'm sure there's maybe a little filter touch, but I was like, <laughs> damn, that is amazing. Like that should be yeah. on their website. Um, yeah. What do you think, what's, uh, did you miss gravel and things being canceled? And are, are you just so focused on track right now? I've been able to incorporate gravel basically in the sake of like, or for the sake of working out again, like just training load. Mm -hmm. So even in my current, like workout plan like obviously there's different phases and stuff but there's there's days where I 
I get prescribed like six hour rides where I just go smash myself all day and <laughs> that's it. And so I basically just incorporate those into gravel races. <laughs> and so cool. instead of like just going out and riding with my friends and, or, or just like, yeah, doing a training ride, I just make those races training rides. So it's been really fun. Actually, I did mid South, which was just insane <laughs> and it was kind of a rude awakening and that's not gravel, like man. To me, that's yeah. not gravel. That's like <laughs> yeah. hell. Yeah. So I have like done a few, I guess, two or three like little small races in Kansas, like here in the past month or two. Cool. And I've been trying. It's always hit or miss, like the risk versus reward of of doing that with COVID and everything. But they seem to have been like pretty safe and following guidelines and. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I know, no one's like gotten sick from all that. So that's, yeah, that's good reassuring. Man. But, but yeah, it's, it's a very fun scene. And I think that's the big thing for me moving forward is kind of track is track is where the business is and road and gravel are for fun. And I think that doesn't take away from me like trying to achieve results at all. And I think it, if anything, it makes it more prevalent that I'll achieve more success. Cause that's kind of what happened last year is even though road was the focus, at least for the first half of the year, like it wasn't, I wasn't a professional anymore, technically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I had lost my contract, kind of took a hit to the ego and I was just, yeah, racing with my friends and trying to like rediscover a, a love for the sport. And I think that's what road and gravel are going to stay as is just fun avenues to stay motivated and have fun. And, it's all yeah. Yeah, working towards a common goal. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, when you're a cat four and you're trying to upgrade and you are thinking you're going in a race, like I got to get this place because I'm going to get these upgrade points. And da, da, da. when you do all that in your head, you don't win. When you're right. like, man, I'm racing cat threes. These guys are really fast. And you just go and race. You're like, holy crap, yeah. I just won. You had no yeah. race. <laughs> yeah. And right. I think we forget that, that when we, you get better. And I'm sure like, you know, you had written on this one blog that I was reading. It was like, when I no longer had expectations, I didn't have this thing of me being as like a pro. I started racing the best I've ever raced before. Yeah. You know, yeah. probably like a little, there's gotta be some mental thing to that. A little bit of weight lifted. And yeah. Um, it's a funny thing when you're an American pro, like you go to a race that have amateurs, if you don't win, it's like, you're, you're not racing to win. You're racing so that you don't lose. You don't hear all right. that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. like, yeah. Like, Oh man, yeah. you, can't, you guys came here. They didn't win. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. you know, it's just like, exactly. Oh my God, dude, I can only imagine what that has gotta be annoying but yeah yeah so since that's coming up what are some things that a lot of people that are trying to figure out you know i'll talk to some people that are you're how old are you 26 26 yeah so you know people in their 20s that the the road scene's in an interesting place um i really i i love what colin strickland has done and kind of redefining what pro means and he's yeah. you know, doing a great thing for his personal life and embracing mm-hmm. how he wants to race. I think a lot of people are seeing that. Um, what do you think that you learn the most in going from collegiate success to a domestic elite team? I think him Cappy was pro Conti when you were racing with them. Yeah. Not in, not in the sense of like racing in, in, but maybe like the soft skills of like, now you're on a team, now you're getting paid, now you've got a pro license. Like, I'm sure there's all this other little baggage that you had no idea yeah. came with it. Right. Like, what are some pearls that somebody that is heading that way, you'd be like, man, just not negative things, but it's like, hey, this is, this is a business now. This isn't just yeah. you playing with right. your friends. 
Right, right. And I think the biggest thing I learned was just get try to get rid of the idea of the concept of making it. Like making it is not there's not it's not like you just arrive at this mm-hmm. like magical point and then everything's easy. It's like it just gets harder. <laughs> like yeah. there's no yeah, you sign a pro contract. Now go train harder because it's gonna, like you're gonna yeah. get your ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think that idea of like not focusing on that, like achieving a certain like status, but rather just be the best you can be. And no matter what, that you're gonna be better for it. Mm-hmm. And there are, I remember seeing, I think it was one of the rally riders before I was on Hincapi and he was like, post, he posted some video where, he was like, you know, it's not all like fun and games. We don't just ride the coffee shops and eat pastries and then just go ride with our friends. Like that's not pro bike racing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's harder than that. <laughs> you go out when you don't want to ride. You go out when the weather's shit. You go out when like everything seems to be going wrong and you like you still got work to do. <laughs> like yeah. when even in your personal life when everything's like going haywire, like the you bike doesn't go. care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you ready. It's interesting. It's almost like now you're presented the opportunity to really take advantage of better training, better coaching. You're Mm -hmm. riding with better athletes. Like now the work really begins. Yeah, exactly. Um, It seems like on a micro scale, it's almost like when you have uh, your five hour endurance ride, it's like when you start getting tired at hour three, you've worked that hard to now do the work. Right. Exactly. It's interesting. I was actually interviewing for a job one time and this guy, I'll never forget this. He said, so what's your five-year, five-year plan? And I was like, is he asking me like, do I want to eventually become a manager? Like I was in sales and da da da. Yeah. So I this and he's like, you want to know what the answer is? And I was like, oh, you have an answer for this. He's like, well, <laughs> he's like, right now, this is the position you're interviewing for. You should be telling me that you're going to be the best, the number one at it, the best in the country. You're going to work your ass off. And then because of how good you are at this, then you figure out what happens in five years. And I was like, yeah. damn, dude, you set me up for like a serious like <laughs> yeah. failure. Like I'm like looking way past the eight ball, yeah. but yeah. it really, it stuck with me. It's like, this is today. What am I doing today to get better? Like that applies totally. Yeah. yeah. You shouldn't oh. have the idea of like, I just want to be a pro like that. If that's your end goal, then you already lost. Like you need to be the best bike racer you can be. And if that's good enough to be pro, if that's good enough to go to the Olympics, then so be it. But mm-hmm. yeah, every day, just be the best you can be, get better and like focus on the big picture. Like it's not all what happens on the bike. Half, half of, or more than half of like what happens is what happens off the bike too. Nutrition, mm-hmm. sleep, like mental well-being, all of it, it all plays a factor. And that it's a big picture sport. Like you have to be well-rounded as a human being to be a well-rounded athlete at a professional level it's it's like uh it's lifestyle yeah not just there's no nine to five (laughs) and when you're talking about well-rounded uh being there's what do you think also like would you they actually asked us on a velo news podcast they're talking about being an all-around cyclist or being like a sprinter a climber which do you think is more advantageous or which would you prefer to be it's hard to say (laughs) i i think some people have a certain skill set or certain fitness, like, I don't know, trademark, I guess, where they, they've always kind of pigeonholed themselves as a sprinter or as a climber. And I've seen people be successful at that. And I've seen people 
get destroyed because of that. Like yeah. a lot of climbers you'll see, they can't even ride in a pack. Like they literally, I read an article about some American that went to the world tour and he was a pure climber. And he was like, yeah, I can climb pretty well if I can make it to the bottom of the climb with the group. <laughs> and it's like, he was getting dropped on the flats leading in. You know who that might've been actually, he was actually just on a pocket. Cameron Cogburn was infamous. For oh, really? Notorious climber. He, and I'm not dissing the dude. He would even say yeah. like, I was getting shelled in the back of this NRC race. I think it was, uh, yeah. uh, it was in Pennsylvania. And right. I'm like, what the hell is Cameron doing back here? He's like, dude, I don't yeah. ride in the groups like that. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, it's not just me that's scared, like scared to yeah. death. All yeah. these like, it's funny when you're cat one man pros can be intimidating. And that's actually one thing that I'll ask you about in, um, you ride really, really well in a group. Um, and we even had talked before of like having the mentality of, Hey, even though you're a pro team and you've got seven guys here on this, you know, amateur dude, cat one, like I've got a job to do also. Where does your confidence come in that? Is it just from experience or is it just like, yo dude, I'm here too we're all in the same bike race. I don't care. And did that attitude change when you were now the pro? <laughs> it, it did change a bit because when I was riding with Arapahoe and I was a, like on a domestic elite team, we were like scratching the door of the continental level. And I think we were better than some continental teams, but at the same time, like you don't have that pro license. So mm -hmm. like nobody can. Mm -hmm. Like it was similar. And when you're on Hincapi and you do like you just show up in your neon and you ride wherever you want because people let you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a mentality that also gets shook when they go to Europe. Like when the team would go to Europe, like you have to earn your stripes. Like you're, you're not just going to get the spot because you have a, a pro license. Like everyone's got one over there. Right. So it's like, but, but at the same point, like on DNA, I remember riding like with next to elevate and they were like, dude, get out of here. And I'm like, no, yeah. <laughs> I don't care that you have a pro license and I don't, that yeah. means nothing to me anymore. Yeah. Like this was obviously following the Hincap year. And it's like, just because I don't have UCI America tour on my Jersey anymore. That, what does that mean? <laughs> like, yeah. like, who cares? Yeah. Just, just own it. Be there. It was a really interesting experience when we did Tour of Southland being a uh, composite team. It was, we really had a hard time getting on the same page. We were a very different style of riders. The crosswinds really, um, it was something that I've never raced in before. Like, yeah. uh, it, it was eye-opening. But one thing that was hard, so as we're kind of getting shelled physically and also by the weather, yeah. and it was yeah. just like chaos at times. There was a day I'm like, yo, I got to move up. Like, I, we were talking, like, there's going to be this turn, there's going to be this headwind. So I move up, and this dude's like, what are you doing up here? I'm like, dude, I'm moving yeah. up. Like, <laughs> we're, and he goes to me, he goes, we're composition riding. And I look, and it's like three teams all together, and I'm like this loose fish, just like, yeah. he was like pissed. And I was like, yo, dude, I, I'm not going to go to the back. But yeah. I was super intimidated. I'm just like, yeah. oh, I hate, I'm yeah. like, where are my teammates at? And I can see, like, yeah. Patrick, he's trying to move up over there. And we got, like, this guy over there. Yeah. Just, I'm just like, damn, like we are just not together and that's one of the tricks is strength that's and numbers. one of the tricks that you always talked about what yeah. do you think you know if you're together if you're with all your homies like it's a lot easier to ride wherever you want and people aren't gonna be like what are you doing here because you got a whole squad around you yeah <laughs> and so i think that's one of the big things is if a team is strong enough and together enough to ride where they want when they want and all together mm -hmm. like that 
that demands respect and you can't you can't like shake someone that you can't shake a whole like if a whole team is sitting there you're not gonna be like guys get out of here no yeah. it's like like we're here dude like, yeah exactly here. <laughs> do something about it <laughs> did somebody naturally tend to be like yo guys we're going over here and be kind of like the first you know getting in and like you know if it's a gc race obviously like your main guy is going to be a little bit more protected. Did people mm-hmm. just naturally fall into those roles of like how you rolled together as an amoeba or is it, and it did it like kind of, I guess do you gel at, you know, when you, when you've raced with someone for a few years, you can tell, like you get brought back, you're like, and I bet so-and-so is going right now. And boom, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah exactly. feel that. Like I'm yeah, assuming yeah. when you're riding in that composition style, you just know yeah. where your guys are going to be at. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Especially, the more you ride with the team, the more you ride with your teammates. That's what training camps are for. You get on the same page. You do a few like early season races to to see how everyone rides, even at a local level. Like you can still see like, is this guy just going to sit in all day, or is he going to attack like nonstop, or is he going to like be really smart and strategic? And you kind of learn which teammates do what, and then mm. it's like once you figure all that out. At the same time, there's usually on the pro teams, there's usually a road captain that's appointed by a director mm-hmm. or if, if there's not one appointed by a director, somebody assumes that role. And so that's like when you were talking about us on DNA yeah. last year, like I, we didn't have a director. So it's like someone's <laughs> just got to step up. And yeah. at that point I felt like I, in a sense was the most qualified. And I also knew that I was like riding pretty well. So it, it was just kind of that, just kind of happened organically yeah, I guess. It, was, yeah, it was natural it was like yeah. and we were all all about that I think we were all happy that somebody was like wanting to take those reins instead of having yeah. to be bad news bears totally <laughs> where do you think that leadership comes from in Grand Coons like have you always been that way uh just find your confidence or it depends on I think in cycling it comes more naturally because that's where I feel really over anything else that's where I feel the most qualified to be a leader <laughs> mm-hmm. like that's where I, that's where I feel at home is on the bike in a peloton like whatever and so I always kind of struggled actually growing up with like I was always good at sports but I was never great at sports like I was always good at school but I was never great at school mm-hmm. and cycling's like the first thing that I've I've had that like inkling of an idea that I like I could be great at this <laughs> mm-hmm. and so I think you are that, great at it man <laughs> you don't have that mindset like yeah anybody towing the line and thinking of being on an Olympic team is a great freaking athlete <laughs> like yeah. I hope you pat yourself on the back a little bit for that I know you yeah. have higher ambitions but dude <laughs> yeah come on man that's <laughs> it's so cool yeah yeah so I think I think that like feeling qualified and feeling I don't know. Yeah. Most at home in my own skin, like on the bike. Like I think that that lends itself to me wanting to be a leader and like adopting that position organically. Yeah. And I think you have a good leadership style and that you're not telling people you're leading them and that, you know, mm-hmm. even if you weren't the best racer, I think you have a good way of approaching laying out things of just like a leader sometimes just opens the conversation and it's mm-hmm. like, Hey guys, let's get on the same page. I think this is what could happen. And it wasn't like, all right, I'm getting this jersey. You ride for me, you know. And it was just yeah. like, let's yeah. let's be a team, you know. Yeah, uh, I think that was, yeah. it was really good. How does that play out then? And we're talking about getting, you know, getting the pro license, and like some people think, like, oh, I've made it now. But then mm-hmm. 
really it's like okay i'm in triple a baseball i'm trying to go to the pros yeah because the dynamic of a team change when you're on arapaho it was probably everybody all for one and one for all let's win let's go try and be yeah. a domestic pro team like let's win the mm -hmm. race um when you get to the pro level and now everybody's trying to make the next step up does that yeah. kind of screw up sometimes the team dynamic of all for one like it definitely does yeah, yeah people the higher you get and I've even experienced it at the lower levels where I've had teammates like straight up say, like, if you're working for a teammate, you're wasting your time. Like, if you want to make it, you just go out there and take it. <laughs> like, and I've had like, same thing on Hincappy, basically. Like, in my mind, my job, my mindset the whole time was like, if my teammates are winning, like, I'm winning. Yeah. But at the same time, I might regret saying this, but my <laughs> management didn't seem to have that same idea. Yeah. They wanted, they wanted everyone to go out there and just kind of like quick step races. Like they don't always race all for one leader. Like they go to the classics with six guys who can win right. and they just like, that's kind of what, that was the, the leadership style, I guess that Hincapie like tried to adopt. It was like, we're all here to win. <laughs> like, right. Go shake some stuff up and see what happens. And yeah. so, that kind of didn't lend itself to my, I don't want to say I was like a, a servant, but a bit like, especially when I show up and I'm racing with all these guys that I've looked up to and I have raced against and like they've beaten me a million times. And like, I really respect them as riders and as humans and I want to help them achieve their successes. And we did, but at the same time, I felt like that isn't always the trickle down isn't always there for not that you're always doing it for recognition, but right. at the same time, you gotta, yeah, I don't have a contract anymore. So here we are. <laughs> gotta get recognized. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too. Uh, Purvis was talking about how he was having a conversation before the crit that he did well in an OKC where mm -hmm. he made a comment to Colin Strickland about a rider that had really good results. And he's like, ah, that guy's not a bike racer. Nobody knows. He gets good results, but like he doesn't race. He doesn't put on a show. He's not out there. He's not thrown yeah. with it. And it's, uh, yeah. it's just interesting how this game works. It is. Um, it is. So are you, if you had a choice, are you in the break all day or are you waiting 5K to go? Are you more strategic or are you like, I'm, I'm getting If you would have asked me two there. years ago, two years ago, I would have said break all day. But I'm realizing more and more, especially at the big races, that a late attack works way more often than an early attack so mm -hmm. i i actually prefer to go to like i think two of my biggest results last year i won a stage at the vuelta guatemala and then that stage at the joe martin stage race yeah that i was second and i attacked with 20k to go maybe in both of those 25k okay. and then the late attacks were the fields like kind of looking at each other trying to figure out who's going to take charge and just got to capitalize yeah. that's when people are actually tired that's when if you have been saving all day like Dude, it no was telling. so awesome to watch, man. It was just like, I don't know if we had just pulled somebody back or we're kind of on a roller. And I'm like, I think that was Grant that just took off. And like, you went out and you were, did you bridge with some guy or were you with some guy? Yeah. I can't remember. yeah. Both. And I think Tanner looks at me, I'm like, dude, Grant's up the road. And he's like, oh, shit. Or somebody asked that. And I was like, yeah. I hope we don't see him again until the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was what, one of the things. It's like, it was kind of a windy section through the trees. 100%. I attacked right over the top of this climb. And apparently most of the field didn't even know that we were gone. No, I don't think people had any idea because we had yeah. just come down like 
not a descent, but like a small hill, just like you're saying, it was windy. It was, mm -hmm. I don't know. It was, it was one of those times, it was a perfect time. You were just gone before I think everyone was like, wait, what's going on? And yeah, uh, yeah so that was awesome. So a um, couple of last questions for you, unless you get back to doing the waffles and everything. Um, <laughs> when you were talking about that guy's book and the four-year game plan, uh, we kind of got off on a tangent, but I wanted to go back to this. When he did that work for him when he was going to these races super gassed, or do you say he wrote himself out of that? I want to get clarification on that. Did he, that work for him? He basically like yeah, sabotaged himself and lost a lot of races. To do better. To do better. Yeah. He was okay. he was adding to his training load, going into a race already fatigued, and then he was a match sprinter, so it was a little different game, but mm -hmm. he would go into a race fatigued and then do 10 rounds of match sprinting and he's already tired coming into it and then he's just digging himself a hole and then he comes out of that better and then just repeat that cycle over and over again it's that functional overload type mentality yeah. and I'm sure he had coaches and training metrics to try to navigate that but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'd love to catch up like when you're a year down the road and you know I think an interesting conversation that I've been having with Patrick and just looking at other athletes and like the whole idea of peaking, some people are saying like, does peaking really work? And you know, how exactly does this happen? And you know, does it add added stress to an athlete? And like, why is it then when you're not peaking, sometimes you go to a race and have a phenomenal performance and it's like right. really a B race that you're training yeah. through. And um, yeah. I just be curious down the road where, how everything unwinds for you as you're looking so far down the yeah. road and kind of, it sounds like, Hey, we've got this plan. We're building, you're racing, you know, gravel races just as training races. And, Mm. It'd just be really interesting to see what uh, your coach Mike like pulls out from that. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know either. So yeah, I'm no, I'll probably like circle back in a year and like like T minus two years till yeah. track. So when will you find what? How does that work when you're like working to get on an Olympic team? Is this the teams decided like a year before, two years before? It's it's pretty last minute. <laughs> so oh wow, okay. So you're, gonna be you got four years basically, or three and a half yeah. years, let's say yeah cool so there's there's basically the way it's worked in the past at least is there's these training camps yearly and there's like a, this core group of guys that i wasn't in in the previous quad that keeps coming back and they're working towards yeah the olympic dream they're trying they're going to world cups they're going to pan ams they're going to all these races with the national team to earn points to qualify for the the olympics and then there's a whole point system it's really bizarre i think it's being revised actually to qualify to go but there's yeah basically once the team realized that they weren't they were kind of missing the mark mm -hmm. like clay started bringing in some outsiders and i was one of those outsiders that got brought in so i mean i could work for the next three and a half or three years and then some outsider comes in and takes my spot and that's just right that's part of the game but it's also motivating because you're never secure. <laughs> Do you have, are there independent people also that aren't on the like Olympic funded team that can get a spot? Because when I was, um, the only reason I know anything about this Olympic thing was I got a call, was it two years ago? And I did a tandem for the Paralympic. Oh, yeah. But he was not on the USA team. He was a self-funded, um, he didn't <laughs> make the team, but he could still yeah. do world cup events. And so yeah. There was a very – he's like, so FYI, we are not Team USA. This is, we're R5, yeah. da, da, da. He kind of laid the land out. And then when we got to the event, he's like, so sometimes it can be weird. Like, we're American, but we're not at the Team USA 10. 
And so I was right. like, cool, like, let's go. Like, how do we get you on that team? And yeah. it was a, the only reason I was there was his original pilot, I believe it was called the person in the front. He uh, was visually impaired, um, was a dual citizen, I believe. And you had to be only American citizen or whatever. Mm. So yeah. I was like, how do we get you on this? Whoever is your next person, like, dude, you should keep shooting for that. And he was trying to yeah. explain the point system and like where he would have to race and how he would qualify. And I was like, I, is this confusing? He's like, oh, it's extremely confusing. He's like, yeah. it's in this years <laughs> and it's very hard to explain. Yeah. Um, so there's caveats everywhere. It's political. There's logistics. Politics, dude. The yeah. stories <laughs> I was hearing was I couldn't yeah. believe it. And they had one event where somebody mismeasured a time trial, and someone there was a huge upset. Like somebody yeah. beat somebody, and then yeah. somebody measured it and found out, and they were going to re-race the race. And I was like, <laughs> dude, this is insane. So, yeah. So, so one of the things behind the scenes is like I've been trying to get on. I've been trying to get a USA kit to race with the national team since juniors, U23s, elites. Like, that's – I knew, like, from the start of me cycling. Like, national team is – if I ever want to go to the Olympics, like, that's, that's where I have to get to. And yeah. so, there was this whole thing with – I just got rejected time and time again. And that was one of the things that was so enticing about Clay giving me – he didn't even, like – he didn't, like, just – give it to me on a silver platter he just left the door cracked and he was like if you want it like yeah <laughs> come and get it <laughs> yeah so I, I like I mean that's always been a dream of mine and I actually still haven't gotten a USA kit but Dude, don't stop man I think <laughs> I'm not done it good because if any you know I appreciate your post on Instagram you put a lot of thought into things you're a very sharing person which is not the most common thing all the time mm -hmm. of like letting people in on failure success mm -hmm. um you know you're not just posting a highlight reel it's like right. hey this is me and this and that was really a big reason why I know that so many people will get so much out of this but especially just inspiring people to like just keep going and become the yeah. best you yeah the door is gonna open and that might just be uh -huh. like a little crack like you're saying you got to keep going to get in there but like yeah door is open and it's yeah. so my last question for you will be where do you think you've learned the most in what scenario or has there been something that you're just like that you carry with you that maybe continues to drive this determination or continues to help you be the leader that you are to a group of people or to yourself I mean you're just going after life and you know what is has there ever been any like thing that you think back on like man I'm so glad that experience happened because I learned so much from that it's really it's the cliche of like you learn the most through the failures and yeah. that you're on Hincapie when I the team lost funding they lost pro continental status cut my contract in half I broke my arm like shattered my elbow like right before all that happened so I was left out on the market like trying to find a contract with I'd also struggled with some other health issues and it was like all that combined like I reached a point where I was ready to quit and I was like all right like and it just the, the thought of quitting felt like a relief which is how I definitely knew something needed to change. Mm -hmm. And I kind of sat with that for a couple of weeks. And eventually I was like, no, I'm, I'm not done. Like there's a whole, I think one of the things that I've also learned the most from is watching other people quit. Like so many of my friends don't race anymore. So many of the people you come up with through the sport 
just fade away. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that really makes someone successful. And it's again, the cliche of like, you don't have to be the best. You just, it's not about how hard you like can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep going. Yeah. And so it's like, at this point, there's not much money in the sport. There's, it's kind of like floundering on the roadside. Opportunities are changing. The whole dynamics of racing is shifting. And a lot of people have lost interest. And in my mind, it's like, eventually, if I just keep at this, like I'm, I still see myself getting better every week, every training block, yeah, every dude, you're year. You're 26, and man. You've got it's like, like, it's like, why? How could I invest this much of my life and give it all up when the going gets tough? And so yeah. I just, I try not to. <laughs> it's not always easy. It's not always straightforward. It doesn't yeah. always make sense, but it's it's what I've given my life to. And until I stop seeing myself get better, why not keep going? You're going to be in it for a while then, man, because you're yeah. going to get any better. I mean, it's, I think back to when I, so I started when I was 26, I started riding a bike. Um, and I remember a guy telling me that I respect, like he's uh, in upstate New York. And he has ridden his whole life. He's like, you'll probably be your best at like early thirties. You'll have seven years of riding in da da da. But because mm-hmm. of like new training techniques and things get better yeah. and like you learn yeah. more, like I'm 38 now and I'm getting fast. Like I look back at 38 yeah. and I'm like, dude, I would smoke me at 38. Exactly. I was supposed <laughs> exactly. to be my best. Like hell no. Yeah. So yeah. like the trajectory and especially things like training with power, it's still relatively a new science. Like just yeah. every year there's new ways to figure things out. And totally. Man, I hope don't stop. I hope that you keep <laughs> going as long as you're having fun with it. I mean, I think yeah. you have years and years and you're gonna have a lifetime of success of whatever you choose to do but uh man this was incredible i really appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge people are going to take away a lot from this and that was really the whole point so grant i really appreciate it man awesome Um, i'm happy to help yeah dude it's it's incredible and uh keep us post i'm gonna hit you back up and we'll have to circle back in a year and see what you're doing and i'll hopefully before that hopefully covid passes and uh get to get a ride out there in colorado and absolutely i was actually thinking about you i was in north carolina this past weekend and riding some hills and i think the last time i rode some serious hills we didn't climb anything crazy but there were like i'm in memphis it's flat as hell yeah Yeah. the boulder trip was probably the last like mountain i think i was on so yeah 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 all right man have a a great night good luck with everything and we'll uh we'll catch up more on instagram soon perfect sounds good appreciate talking yeah thank you see ya see ya